this series that we've been part of. I hope you're enjoying it, the Family February, where we, we take a month aside every year and we focus on families. And so far, uh, we've talked about um, kids, uh, we've talked about marriages, we've talked about uh, elderly and working with those as age, respecting age. And today, we could talk about the church as a family and what a great family it is. In fact, uh, you say, are we really in the family of God? Well, let me show you an amazing memory verse that we're all going to go through today, which is this. 1 John 3, 1, one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible says this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Isn't that an amazing verse? I, I, you cannot leave here this morning down and, and out when you know this. Yeah, awesome. So we're going to memorize it, and then we're going to talk about it. What does it mean to be in the family of God? God's kids. That's us. We're family, and a great family at that. By the way, now, in order to remember this, because life is busy and it's hard, and our memories are getting shorter and shorter, what I would, have we done for you is we've given you a tool. In your bulletin, there is a memory verse card, and you can take that out right now, and you put it somewhere where you will find it later on in the week, and you can remind yourself of this amazing truth. And let that, the truth of God's word, uh, sink in. Because uh, I think oftentimes we live like we're orphans, but we are orphans no longer. What a great thing is that. So we're going to talk about what God has done for us. You know, we talk about the church as a family. And it's not just one of those things that it means a pastor. I think, hey, that's kind of fun to talk about the family. You know, the Bible, New Testament, really talks about us, the church, as a family. More than anything else. You know the term for Christians, like how Christians are referred to in the New Testament? Brothers and sisters, that's what they, you know, but Jesus even said, hey, listen, you have, a, you have a God who is father. He is a family term. We are God's family, and right here, and you see in Scripture, we're even called as children. We are a real family, legitimate. It's an amazing thing. In fact, Jesus, even in, in uh, Matthew chapter 12, he was talking, he said, um, he was getting into his ministry, and um, he was you know, doing this thing where he was telling people, I am God, because he was, and Jesus can't lie. So he's telling people, I'm God, and his, his mom and his brothers are like, hey, that may be true, but if you keep saying that, they're going to kill you, right? So they're worried about him, and so they were going to go, because he was having this meeting, and his disciples there, and he was talking to them about the kingdom and, and all that, and they show up to try to persuade him to maybe soften the rhetoric just a little bit. And so one of the, the disciples came in, and they said, hey, listen, your mother and your brothers are outside, and they would like a word. And Jesus says to them, he looks around the room, and, it's, and, and he looks at his disciples, and he says this, who is my mother and my brother? And he says, my mother and my brother are those who do the will of my father. Right? We're in the family. My disciples. I think that's amazing. Now, Jesus calls us family, and we find out that John, who was there, says, that is exactly what we are. When we go through, we talk about this today, I saved the best for last. The best family you'll ever be part of is God's family. It is, it is an amazing thing. But we think of family. Families have cultures, don't they? I mean, if you come to my house, there are certain things that we do that will probably be very foreign and strange to you. Right? The way that we, you know, use our toothpaste. Right? The rituals we have at night before we go to bed. 
right? The order in which we open presents on Christmas or the food that we cook on Thanksgiving may not be the same as yours. The way that we talk to each other, the type of affection that we show, very different from household to household, right? God's house, his family, has a culture. God's house has rules. It has a way that it operates. It has a structure. When he says that you are God's child, you really are part of that, but what does that mean? What does it mean to make yourself at home in God's family? We're going to talk about that today. In fact, uh, uh, there are four things that we're going to to be going through, and there's a whole lot more, but in 1 John um, is where I would like you to turn into your Bibles because that's where it talks about what does it mean to be part of God's household. Now, 1 John is in the very, very back of your Bible, so if you have one, it's kind of like almost just opening up the last couple pages. And if you have one of our Bibles, it's, it's on page 856, and it's the book of 1 John, not the Gospel of John. And uh, this is where we will start. Starting in verse 1, I'm going to read for you the first 10 verses, and then we'll actually go past that today in our study. But this kind of gives us the trajectory of uh, where we're going. It says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, now that we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law, in fact, sin is lawlessness, But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one continues to sin, has ever seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because, God, because God's seed remains in them. They, can, they cannot continue to go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child. Nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. That's some pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? But isn't it great? Haven't you ever wondered, like, if I'm in God's household, how do I know I'm in God's household? And how do I know that you are in God's household? You ever wondered that? He tells us. I think that's amazing. It's important for us to know who's in the family. And the scripture gives us some things to look at. Because it's really hard to look at somebody's soul. Have you ever noticed that? Really difficult. You know, even with awesome glasses and a magnifying glass, right? You can't really see there. So he says, listen, you can tell whose household they're part of by the culture that they have, right? Whose rules are they following? And there are two basic households that humans can be part of. We are either in the devil's household or God's. And we had a choice. Now, this is an amazing thing. Now, before we start with, with the four things that it means to be making ourselves at home in God's household, let's just think about this for a second. Some of us, uh, we were born into really nice homes. We have great parents. We love them. Look up to them. We have our siblings that we, we you know, more than tolerate, right? They're good, right? When we think about 
family, it's a good concept, and we say, hey, this is amazing. I love my family. And for those of us who come from that background, the understanding of all those great things that we have in our earthly family are magnified in, in our heavenly family. This is a great family that we can be part of, an eternal one that won't end. But there are also some of us here that came from very difficult households. When we talk about the word father, you cringe a little bit because maybe your dad was not so awesome, right? Or maybe your mom wasn't all that great and the house wasn't healthy and all of that. And the whole idea of family is just a little scary. Here's an amazing thing for you. You may have been born into a very difficult family, but you get to choose to be part of the most amazing family ever. The things that you read about in those wonderful sappy greeting cards, right? The, the movies and the holiday season that show just images and reflections of what a good family is are, are pale in comparison to the, the family that you have been, you've been adopted into. And so it's a whole new way. You have to put on the back shelf. You have to put away all of your ideas of what family is like because God is not calling you to that broken family. He's calling you to his perfect, amazing family. Now we get to talk about what does it mean? How do you make yourself a home in God's family? Well, the first thing to make yourself a whole God's family is, means this, that you are loved by God. And not just a little love. Look what it says here. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. You know that word lavish? I mean, it's like the idea, like God drives up to you, you know, to before your house and he's in a big old dump truck filled with love, right? He's like, goes out there and says, hey, come here, I've got something for you. You're like, what is it, God? He's like, come here, let me show you. He takes you to the back, and you're standing there, all of a sudden he opens up, like, love, it's like more than you can handle. And all of a sudden, there's, a st- there's like a hundred dump trucks lined up down there as far as the eye can see, and they just keep pulling up, and you're like, this is for you, deliver it from God, right? Just love, more love than you can imagine. Love that is, is so weighty, so beautiful, so amazing. You just... You can't contain it because you weren't designed to. It's the kind of love that God lavishes on us so that we are not afraid to give it away. Right? I think so many times we have an idea of a poverty of love, like God gave us just a little bit, just enough for today. And then we have this idea, well, if I give this away, I won't have enough. But I tell you what, if you have a mountain of dirt in your backyard, I mean, it's just so huge, and your neighbor needs some dirt, you're like, take it. Right? Or if you're growing zucchinis, Right? And there was somebody across town who's starving and said, Man, if I just had some zucchinis, you're like, Please take them and you give them with joy because you know you have enough. Right? God lavishes love on you in a way that you can't even imagine. Think about this none of us deserve God's love. None of us. It says in Scripture that every one of us has fallen away. Everyone just fall away. We all committed treason against God. Said sin is lawlessness. We are outlaws. No, that we have we have committed treason against God Almighty. We have decided not to worship Him. We decided to worship ourselves. We decided to obey our own laws, our own way. We've kicked God out of His own creation. Every one of us has done it in our own lives, haven't we? It says in Scripture that every single one of us, because we have become enemies of God, we are fighting a rebellion against the Creator, which isn't smart, but it's what we've done. Every one of us are objects of His wrath. And it's not because He was angry with us beginning, it's because we made Him an object of our wrath. We declared war on God. 
every single one of us deserves not just to be punished, but destroyed. I want we understand exactly what it is that we've been saved from. Every one of us. Scripture talks about it. We say the idea of hell is it's a prison. And that's not the bad part. The bad part is the lake of fire that comes next. We go from gloom to, to torment. And we deserve it. Every single one of us. We've offended an immortal God, an eternal God, and each one of us deserves an eternal punishment. We don't deserve hope. We don't deserve peace. And it would be amazing for God in the midst of all of this, if God came to earth and said, you who are my enemies, I will make you my slaves. I won't give you that lake of fire, but I'm going to put you into the salt mines. That would be a step up, wouldn't it? More than we deserve. I mean, if all God did was say, I'm not going to give you the punishment you deserve. I'll take that punishment, but now you get to work. I'm going to buy you out of that, and now you work for me as a slave. You have no rights, and you get no say, but you just have to work, and there is no compassion. That would be more than we deserve. And certainly God did save us from our sin. But he did more than that, didn't he? I mean, his love was more than just saying, I'm going to save you from, from being my enemies and now you're my slaves. He did more. It would be an amazing thing, wouldn't it, if God then just said, hey, listen, you can be a member of my kingdom, a citizen. You don't have to be a slave. You can actually be a member of my, my kingdom. Right? I'll open the gates up to there. You get a fresh start and all this. But I'll remember what you did. There will always be this house on the hill that you're not welcome into because you're not good enough. You can be in my kingdom. And you can exist out there, right? And, and, but there's going to be a separation because I know what you've done. And we would, could exist in eternity in the midst of the splendor of God's kingdom, which would be more than we deserve. And that would be far greater than hell and way better than the lake of fire, right? That in and of itself, if he loved us enough just to make us citizens, not just slaves, that would be amazing, But you know, God did something better, didn't he? Jesus didn't just die for our sins. He didn't just say, okay, you're not just slaves, but you're citizens of my kingdom. He said, you know what? You're going to be my friends. I'm going to not just redeem you. I'm going to propitiate you, which is a weird word, but it's it's something that people can't do. That God took all of that anger and frustration and, and all of that stuff, that, that the emotional death that our sin caused, and he placed it on Christ. So when God looks at you, he's no longer disappointed. He says in Scripture, it's like this. It's like how the east and the west will never meet. Right? You can just keep going east or west. Right? That's how far he's removed his sins from you. So far, they don't even, they, when God looks at you, he can't even fathom your sin on you. Right? That's the thing. When he looks at you, there's no disappointment coming down from God on you. There's no resentment that we have from the, from the throne of God onto you. And because of that, God's able to embrace us with, with a smile instead of a scowl. He's able to call us friends. Isn't that much more than we deserve? I mean, that right there. God says, in eternity, I'm going to not just forgive what you have done. I'm going to remove it. I'm going to take care of it. And emotionally, we're going to be bonded again. We're going to like each other. We're going to be walking in the cool of the garden together and stuff. Right there. That's amazing. 
But you know what? God did even better. You see, there's a, there's a place in heaven. It is, the, it is the household of God. And he said, you can come in here not just as a visitor or a guest. You're welcome as a family member. I'm not just going to allow you to be in my kingdom. I'm going to call you my child. Right? You're going to be, I'm not going to just allow you into this place. I'm going to make a room for you. That's what Jesus said. I am making a place for you individually. Perfect for you. He's designing your room, painting it, making it look nice, getting it ready. There's a place for you. He says, you are my child. That, that no longer, you, you are my enemy. But I didn't make you a slave. And I didn't just make you a citizen, right? I didn't just make you a friend. I made you family. I opened my home to you. My life. You understand how great the love the Father has lavished on us? That we should be called children of God. And I love how John says, again, like just out of just sheer disbelief. And that's what we are. It is amazing how much God loves you. That his God's love for you is so rich, so deep, and so wide, and so long, and so high, and so enduring, and so sweet, and so compassionate, and kind, that even in eternity we will never plumb its depths. And his love for you doesn't dry out. It's a living love. It's like a giant river that just continues to flow. Every day it says his mercies and his love are even afresh on you anew. You'll never run out. You can drink in it, swim in it, give it away. You can't outspend God's love for you. What's what it means to be part of God's family? It starts with this. It starts with God. God doesn't love you because of what you do. In fact, God loves you in spite of what you do, right? It's not even this. It's not even that just God loves you because of who you are. Right? In fact, if we we're honest, God loves you in spite of who you are. To be in God's household means this. It starts with God loves you just because you're loved. And that's not going to change. That's hard for us to get, isn't it? But that's what it begins to I mean. When you're in God's household, you are loved by God. He is wild about you. He cares for you deeply. He loves you with such compassion and such ferocity that nothing in this world will separate you from his love. There is no power in the world, no enemy out there, no mistake too big that could ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what it means. Begins there. And we love that, don't we? But it doesn't end there. There's something more that God's love has for us. Being, making ourselves home in God's family means that we have a hope in Christ. Look at verse 2 and 3. It says this, Dear friends, now that we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when, we, when Christ appears, we will be like Him, for we're going to see Him as He is. All of us who have this hope in Him purify ourselves just as He is pure. Think about this. We have hope. Jesus didn't come to save you in this world. Jesus didn't even come to save this world. He came to save us from this world. He didn't come to save your life. He came to give you a new life. I think oftentimes we misunderstand the gospel. We think 
man, I am so lost and lonely, and if I only had Jesus in my life, all of a sudden just get easy. It's not what he said. He said, you're going to die to yourself in this life, and you get a better one. Right? He didn't come to bring us health in our bodies. Sometimes he brings us those as a gift, but guess what? Everybody dies. Sorry if you didn't know that. Spoiler alert. Right? But that's not what he came to do. He came to give you a new life and a new body and a new hope. And what is it going to be like? It says we don't even know yet. We just know it's going to be awesome. It says that what we're going to be is so much better than what we are now. We're going to be like Jesus. We're going to be able to see him. And know he's like, that's what it means. Like when Jesus comes back, if he comes back before these bodies die and somehow we just get zapped up there and we have these new bodies, right? And all of a sudden we see ourselves where we are. We'll be like, what? <laughs> right? It's going to be amazing. Far better than anything you can imagine. I think so many people in this life don't have that hope, and so they put their hope in this world. What a tragic thing. And the reason it's a tragic thing is not that this world was, was originally just bad. It was a paradise. So it's easy sometimes for us to forget that this world is also broken until the, the brokenness of this world impedes upon our paradise, which it does for all of us. Some people put their hope in their looks. Guess what happens when you get older? Your body falls apart. Or their health. I'm strong, I'm able, and someday you're not going to be strong and you're not going to be able. Some of us put our hope in our wealth, which I think that we've seen over time that there are times where it's easy to be wealthy and then times the world just takes it away and money just disappears and you're like, what happened? Some of us put our hope in relationships and family, but even the best of relationships are temporary. I mean, think about who do you know from the first century that's still here? A lot of people back then had great relationships, didn't they? And they're all gone. We know better enough to put our hope in these things that are here today and gone tomorrow. It's temporary. You know, the crazy thing about life is this, is that life is full of seasons. We all love spring. And fall, up here we like summer too. But winter comes. And there are seasons in life where things are easy and they're wonderful and we enjoy it. But if our hope is in that season, that, hope, that season always changes. And there's the other thing in life is that we're in the midst of the darkest times and things are so hard and the coldest winters of the soul and of life. And we think that there is no hope or anything. If we're putting our hope in this life, we give up, not realizing that that season's going to change. God allows us to live in this world, and we enjoy the ups, and we endure the downs, and all of us go through it. He, he allows the sinner as well as the saint to go through all of them. But what we have been given as his children is something better. We've been given a new life. We have God with us. We can talk to God in the midst of the hard times. We can give his perspective in the midst of the good times. We can see his blessings for what they are and see the difficulties. But he says, I will use this thing for your good. That's the amazing thing. He didn't come to save this life. He said, sacrifice this life for me and I'll give you something better. There's a hope that we live for. Who of you has gone through a pain that is so searing that you will forever be wounded and walk with a limp? There was a guy in the Bible. His, his name is Israel. And you know what Israel means? Wrestles with God. And you know why God gave him that name? 
because he wrestled with God and he left with that and the rest of his life he walked with a limp. The evidence of life and pain, but he doesn't walk with a limp in the kingdom. There's a time of restoration ahead of us. And here's the thing, that word hope in this world is kind of like, maybe it'll happen, I hope it does. That's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is like, I'm absolutely certain something is going to happen, it just hasn't happened yet. It's like this. We hope that the sun will rise tomorrow. Do you hope the sun rises tomorrow? Biblically, yes, we do. We have absolute assurance the sun will come up over those mountains tomorrow morning, right? And so we make plans based upon that, don't we? I'll meet you for coffee tomorrow. I put my hope in that tomorrow will come, which is a pretty safe bet. We have a hope. An absolute assurance that there is something bigger, that there is a new life that we are a part of. There's a kingdom that is coming. Jesus will return. He is returning. And there are new bodies we get. And there is a new place that we are part of and we are part of God's family. There is a hope that we have, absolute assurance that's actually even more comfort, we could say that, than the sun rising tomorrow because Jesus may come back. And you understand that we, we have this hope as a Christian, being in part of God's family means that we cling to this. We know it's true. We start to understand that I am part of God's family, not part of the family of the enemy. I'm not forever going to be on this sinking ship. There is something far better that is just around the corner, and I am already a part of that. God's love is with me now. It's lavished upon me. I'm already his child. His Holy Spirit already is with me, right? I am already have the privilege of building his kingdom today. And I also have this hope that every pain that I go through, from Romans 8 tells us, every pain God is using for my good and the good of his kingdom. I didn't have that promise before I became a Christian, but now I have it. Which means that every part of my life, every day, every waking hour, every sleeping moment, God is at work doing redemptive things. And so whether it's pain or pleasure, whether it's a good time or a hard time, it doesn't matter. The kingdom is coming, and I'm part of that. Isn't that amazing? I think we miss it sometimes with the kingdom of God. We, we say, you know what, we think that we were recruiting God to our team when we come, become a Christian. Don't we? That's not it at all. Jesus doesn't say, hey, can I follow you? But he did say, follow me. He invites us in. He opens wide the gate of his family and he says, be part of this. Let me build you a room. I'm coming back for sure and I got a cool body and a great place for you to be. Right? And I got purpose in life for you right now. Join me. And we join him and we have hope in Christ. And then notice what happens in that verse 3. When we get it. When we join his family, when his hope and his love are ours. It says all who have this hope in him Purify themselves just as he is pure. That's a hard one, isn't it? Here's what it means. If I adopt a kid, say Thomas wasn't enough, which he is. He's awesome. Let's say I'm like, hey, Thomas is not enough. And we adopt some kid. They grew up in some other family. They had different rules in that household. They had a different culture. That's how they live. But as soon as they're my son or my daughter, now all of a sudden they live by our rules. There's going to be a place for them at our table. There's going to be a dinner hour where they're going to show up and be expected to be at, right? There's going to be a certain way that they're going to be expected to address me and my wife and, and their brother, right? There's going to be presents for them under the tree. There's also going to be chores for them on the list on the refrigerator, right? They're going to be a new way of life. 
You used to live according to your old parent, the devil, your old way. You used to live life according to his told you he's, he's pretty much neglectful. And he tells you, do whatever you want. But that's not how the kingdom of God works. God has house rules. And they're good. And they give us structure. They give, help us come together. And it says, we're going to live by those. We're going to start to look like we're his kids. And so as much as we have hope in Christ, making ourselves at home in the family of Christ means this. I want to wait till I ah, get there. Do it. We live righteously. That's what it means. Because he is righteous. Look at uh, 5.3. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, 1 John 5.3. It says, in fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. Right? And his commands are not burdensome. This is love for God. To live righteously means that we love God with how we act. It starts there. I mean, isn't God's home, it starts with love, his great love for you. Hasn't he loved you more than enough? And he says, you know what? But love that is just one way is abuse. In his home, we're called to something more than abuse. He says, love me. And we start by that by saying, your home, your rules. So we need to learn to love God. And that's where righteousness begins. Not be, it's not a focus on you. I think so many of us think about, if I'm living this righteous life, it's all about me, about how perfect I can be. It's such the wrong picture. It's not about you. Stop being so self-centered. Take yourself off the throne of your heart. It's about God. Are you loving God with your life? Look what he's done for us. Don't we want to please him? Don't we want to say, God, thank you for everything that you've done for me? You know, you're going to ask some things for me that I'm going to disagree with, but I'm in your household, so I'm going to, I'm going to follow you. As an act of love. And I know that there's this, this idea that says, yeah, but Aaron, we're saved by grace through faith. Yes, we are saved by grace through faith. But look at what the scripture talks about faith. James, who happened to know Jesus fairly well, he was his brother, says this, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Right? I don't have to show my faith to anything. My faith is just internal. It's just an act of the spirit. It's just a, a bending of my mind saying, God, I trust you. You're my Lord. James says, all right, show me your faith without your deeds. I'm going to show you my faith by my deeds. In fact, how can you actually say you have faith in something if your life doesn't show it? If you really believed your pants were on fire, right, would you just walk around just like, "Mm -hmm, I believe my pants are on fire. You're like, do you really believe your pants are on fire? Because if you think your pants are on fire, you take your pants off. Right? You put them out. When we believe something to be true, our, our lifestyle changes, doesn't it? If I believe that red jelly beans are going to give me cancer, and I really believe that, chances are I'm not going to eat red jelly beans. Right? We do all kinds of crazy things by faith, don't we? Our faith is always demonstrated by our lifestyle. And James says, listen, if you have faith, then your life will show it. And so, yeah, we are saved by grace through faith, not by the things that we do, but the things that we do are evidence of what we have faith in. And it's important. So our faith is evidenced by actions. And what is one of the first actions that God wants from us? Well, 1 John 3.23, and this is God's command. What's the first rule of God's household? What does He want us to do? To believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He commanded us. There's command in there. These are not optional. 
Here's the deal. If somebody, if my son comes home, kicks in the door, boom, Dad, this is my house. We're going to start doing things according to my rules. You know what's going to happen? He's going to have his own house. He's going to have his own mortgage. And he's going to buy his own bread. When we become part of God's family, God didn't just invite us to walk in and say, All right, God, thanks for letting me be here. This is how we're going to do things around here. Right? My rules. We're going to be part of God's household. We're going to do things His way. That's part of being His household. It's submitting ourselves to His will. Knowing that He does a much better job than we do anyway. It's a great thing. But we're going to do things how He does, which means that we're not going to do the way that you want things done. Or I want things done. I think it's amazing how oftentimes that God conveniently fits into our, our preferences. That lets us know that maybe we're not living according to God's way, by the way. If you're never submitting yourself to the will of God, there's never anything he asks you to do that you're like, oh, I wish you wouldn't say that. First thing that God says, rule of my house, number one, you come here in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. If you do not believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, you do not have a place at his table. Not my rules, His. And it certainly makes sense, knowing what we deserve. We can't just walk in there and say, boom, God, you did, I, I have to have a place at your table. You owe it to me. I'm your child. And he'll say, you are not my child. You are my enemy. Right? I will give you forgiveness. I will set a place. But you have to start with this. This is the first command. If you want to love me, love my son. Accept forgiveness in Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved, is what Scripture says. No one comes before God without coming first in repentance to Christ. That's his rule. House rule number one, which is really cool for us because when we get to heaven, all of us will be there under the same thing, so no one can boast. Oh, that's pretty cool. And then he says, you know what? You're also going to demonstrate that in how you treat one another because you're my family and as my kids, you are going to love one another, which he has to tell us because we don't often love one another. Because sometimes we're pretty tough to love, aren't we? I know some of you are. I know that I am. It's true, isn't it? How we love. It's a demonstration of how much God loves us. So I don't love you because you're easy. I don't accept you because I always want to. And you don't love me because I'm easy. You don't forgive me because I always deserve it. You don't accept me because it's, it's what you want to do. You forgive because God's forgiven you. You love because you've been loved. His rules, his house, this is how it works in his home. God is really into this. He likes conflict resolution, doesn't he? What does Jesus say about his family? He says, listen, if you want to make a, a donation to the church and you want to maybe take communion, right, to be a part of the fellowship and all that kind of stuff, but you have a problem with another believer, don't give the donation. Don't take the, don't take the communion. Don't pretend to be part of a fellowship while you have problems in there. Don't just pretend to love each other. Do it. He says, first, go to the person, work it out. Then come. Then you can bring your offering. Then you can take communion. Then we can participate together. We don't do unresolved conflict in God's home. That's what he says. He's into it. So believing in Jesus is the first act of righteous faith. And then it continues on in how we treat one another. It's a big thing. So it's in God's house. It's God's rules. So he says there in verses 7 and 8, Dear children, don't let anyone lead you astray. Don't be fooled by this crazy thinking. It says, Then anyone who, does, anyone who does what is right is righteous. Look at your life. 
they're following Jesus, and they're following Jesus. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. You can see whose household you're part of by the lifestyle that you're, you're doing. If in you're looking in your life and you're recognizing, I'm not following God, and I know I'm not following God, I'm following my own passions, my own desires, I'm, you are part of the wrong household. It doesn't mean that you have to be perfect to be in God's household. That's not what it is. Jesus said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded, right? So it's a process. I mean, who goes to kindergarten and then walks out the next day with a PhD, right? There's a process. You've got to grow up in the kingdom. You've got to learn these things. It takes time, and you're not always going to get it right. But we need to be adapting the kingdom lifestyle into our own lives. There should be progress. There should be growth. There should be a change in me and how I live and who I am. Right? And that's what we need to see evidence of. That's what I need to see evidence of in me. You know, Jesus, when he talked about in his kingdom, he said there, there are certain ways that he wants people to act. Certain things, certain attributes that he said, in my kingdom, this is how I want things to be. The first one is that we be a people of prayer. That we would actually talk to God. And you know how Jesus, his disciples started out and they didn't know how even to pray. They said, teach us how to pray because we don't even get it. And I love how Jesus taught them to pray. He didn't just say, oh, just talk to God. Tell him what's on your heart. Now, Jesus said, no, okay, if you want to pray, you want to talk to God, this is how you're going to do it. First thing, our Father who's in heaven, right? We're talking to God here. And he loves you. He is your Father. Don't forget that. Your name is awesome. You can do whatever you want and you're worthy. Your kingdom come, your will be done here in my life, in this earth, just as much as in heaven. We start with that. If we first start to pray, we act like little kids and we say, God, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And that's fine for a child in faith. And we start there and we have our list of wants for God. And we say, God, my kingdom come, my will be done, please. And God lovingly, graciously says, hmm, no. Right? And then we learn to pray your kingdom. Your will in my life. Help me surrender that because I'm not, I don't got it. I just don't know what's best. I think I know what's best. I'm pretty sure I know what's best, but I know that I don't know what's best. And you do, God. Your kingdom. Help me to live it. Your will. Right? Give me what I need so I can follow you, right? Help me with that because my trust is in you and not in this world. Help me to forgive people because, man, it's hard to forgive people, but I'm going to do it because you've forgiven me, but, man, that's hard. And, Lord, help me to not fall into the temptation because it's too much for me sometimes. In fact, it's too much for me a lot. So deliver me from that. As you grow in faith, as you grow up in the family of faith, you're going to find your prayer life grows. And you're going, to go, you're going to start from that selfish point. And it's not to be shamed that you're in a selfish point, but you can't stay there. And so as we grow in the kingdom, you should be looking at your life and your prayers and your talks to God and your understanding of your place in his kingdom based upon his love for you. You begin to actually ask for his kingdom. That's going to happen. It's a progress. You're learning a lot, but he said that's going to happen. That's righteous. Something else he said that his people, Jesus said his people would be a people of fasting. They would learn to say no to their fleshly desires, no to their bodies, so they could say yes to God's kingdom. They would put this world in submission to the spiritual. They would learn how to do it, how to say no to themselves so they could say yes to God. I think a lot of times we don't want to fast because it makes us uncomfortable. That's the point. And as we start and walk in the kingdom of God, some people begin just by fasting very simple things. 
They'll fast their time from TV so they can read scripture. They'll fast a little bit of extra sleep every day so they can spend time with God in prayer. They say no to their bodies and they make this world, their lives, conform to God's will more and more and more. There's a time in a Christian's life where we begin actually fasting food. We say no to this so we can say yes to him. There's a progression that you need to see in your life. That's what he's talking about. Is it life transformed? And I'll tell you this, that when we die to this life, it feels like a death because that's exactly what it is. But he says this, if you die to yourself, you gain real life. You realize at that point that you've been living for the wrong things all along, the things that never could satisfy, and you find the thing that can satisfy. It seems so scary and so awful, but it's so wonderful and so liberating and freeing. He says, I invite you into a new way. His people would be a people of prayer and a people of fasting. He said, you know what, there's something else his people would be. The people of outrageous generosity. His people would know that the things of this world are temporary, so why try to cling to them? He didn't say that we would just invest poorly. He said that we wouldn't make things our master, but we would make him our master. And so in our life, when we see somebody hurting and I have things to help, I have been richly given. I don't approach life with a poverty mentality. God gives me everything I need. And right now, he gives me an opportunity to show love. How we even live in in our lives, we begin to look, and we should see a growing generosity in our life. Those are the three things that when Jesus talks about his disciples, those, surprisingly enough, are the three things he talks about. So let's start with that. Are we growing in faith, or are we... Just standing still. If you look back in your life a year from ago, and there's been no growth, you don't find yourself spending any more time with God. There's no closeness there. There's, there's no more submission in your life to His will, right? There's no saying no to yourself so you could say yes to Him. There's no opportunities where you're able to sacrifice of yourself to give to Him. That doesn't happen. You're saying that you need to reevaluate your faith. Maybe you're asking God to be on your team. Maybe you're asking God just to sacrifice for you. And I say, in his household, God says, no, no, it's a two-way street. You need to learn to love him. And I'll tell you, when you do that, it's scary. And yeah, it's painful at first, but it is beautiful and wonderful. And you are released into a much better life than you could ever imagine. It's a great thing. So I ask you this morning, begin, it's not the issue of perfection. Even Paul said, I'm the worst of sinners. Are we all agreeing that the Apostle Paul's in heaven? It's not perfection. The issue is lordship. Are you allowing Jesus to be the, you know, the, the, the God that he is? Are you allowing God the Father to be the Father that he is? Are you saying, your house, your rules? Are you obeying yourself for God? That's a hard one. 1 John 3, 9 says this, No one is born of God will continue in sin because God's seed remains in them. This is the part I find so encouraging. Because that last part, if it's all about me, I'm really defeated. Because here's the thing, I'm sinful to my core. I'm a really selfish person. And it will be about me. And I will run out of, of, of opportunity and faithfulness to be able to give to somebody, right? I will just not have that kind of love. But he says, you know, why will we not continue to sin? Because God is in you. It is the power of God, God's Holy Spirit, who is going to transform you from the inside out. He's the one that's going to change us. That's why it's called the fruits of the Spirit, right? We don't grow fruit on trees. Trees actually don't really even grow the fruit. It just kind of appears. It just happens, right? They don't strain or anything like that. The farmer's not out there taping fruit onto the tree. It just grows. 
It's what it was designed to do, and God's Holy Spirit is in you, and you will grow new fruit. You will be a faithful person, a loving person, a kind person, a gentle person. There will be things that are happening in your life. God will transform you from the inside out, but it happens like this. It, It starts with faithfulness. God's Holy Spirit is released to work in our life, and we stop resisting Him. And we say, God, okay, I, I want to be a more loving person. We don't do that by saying, okay, I'm going to be really loving. Because that's, that does not work. But it says this, okay, God, I'll be a more loving person. So your kingdom come in my life. What is it that how I can walk in faithfulness to you today? Help me. That prayer, uh, help me, your kingdom come, your will be done, right? Deliver us from the evil one, right? You ask God for help and you do it. And when you fall down, you say, oh, man, I fell down. And God's right there and you say, forgive me. And he's like, done. Here you go. Let me get you back up. And as we do that, God changes us from the inside out. And that's why a person that is in Christ can't continue to be the same person because now they have life in them, which is really cool. It's just like a little sapling, a little tree cannot continue to be a sapling forever. It's impossible. It will grow because there's life in it. And that's what life does. And there's God in you. And he is more than enough to transform you. Think of the power of God. Can God, who created the universe in six, six days, does he have the power to transform bad, uh, bad attitudes, wrong thinking? Can God rewrite his law in your heart? I don't think he's sweating over this. So let God work in you. That's the hope. We, isn't that great? We can't go on sinning. That's my joy for the kingdom of God. When we get there, we're not going to be sinners anymore. It's impossible for us. Why? Because God will have changed us. But it starts with our part is obedience. And so making ourselves in God's family is not just in righteousness, but then it goes back to, look at verse 12 and 13. It says that we're going to love one another. It says, don't be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. That's a bad thing to do. He says, and why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Right? We don't want to be like that. He says, so don't be surprised, my brothers, that this world hates you. We live in a world where this is this the norm, right? The, the, the enemy, the devil, that's the way his household works, but not so in God's household. God's household works in a whole different way. We're not supposed to murder one another. That's like thing one. So you're here today, you're not killing each other. We're doing good, right? But it goes much deeper. See, love can't help hate fellow believers. I can disagree with somebody. Kingdom of God, fortune doesn't tell me I must like everybody. That's nice, right? Because that would be impossible. But he says I need to love them, even the people I don't like. He's like, if you're a brother and sister in Christ, I can't hate you. I can't work toward your destruction. You're in my family. And we're not to be surprised that the world doesn't like us. They're in a different family. And the rules under that whole household, there's a lot of hate. That's the way it works. But we've been called out of that. So we work different here. So we love one another. Look at verses 13 and 15. It says this, that, the, that love is going to be the very evidence of our faith. It says, don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, the world hates you. It says this, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Anyone who does not love remains in death. And anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in them. You can look in your own faith and you can say, look at your own life. Am I loving towards my other brothers and sisters? Do I actually have compassion for the other people that are in the family of faith? That's how I know. That's one of the evidences of faith. I must love. And the absence of love, if there is hatred and all those kind of things, it's evidencing absence of faith. No wonder Jesus says, listen, if you've got a problem with another brother and sister and you hate them, don't even come to the family. Don't, don't make a donation, right? Don't come to, to take communion. Make things right first. 
his household is a house of love. And loving one another ultimately is a following of Christ's example. Look at verse 16. This is how we know what love is. You say, what is this love that we're supposed to do? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for brothers and sisters. We follow Christ's example. Jesus loved us. God loves us. We get to love one another. He's lavished love on us. We need to give it away. Right? Because it'll keep coming. We need to give it away. I think it's amazing. Love is going to be sacrificial. It's going to be practical, too. Look at that next verse. He really gets in our business. He says this, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be on that person? This is not for us to look at other people and judge. This is for us to look in our own life. Do I know people, brothers and sisters of faith, that are needy and I'm not helping them? He's like, how on earth can you possibly say you see, love a God who you haven't seen if you can't even love this brother or sister in faith that you do see? It's very practical. The Word of God is very practical. He challenges us and he tells us this is love is a practical thing. And so in verse 18, dear children, let's not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. There's enough of this, oh, I love you, brother, and then stab you in the back. Oh, I hope that you do well, but, you know, go as you go sleep under the bridge and I have a nice room. It's not love. God's kingdom is a kingdom of love, real love, true love, genuine love. There is an authenticity to the love that we have because it's an authenticity of the love we have received. And so we are called to that. So love is sacrificial. It's going to cost you something. If you are a believer in faith and it has cost you nothing to be a believer, sitting here today, you have given nothing to other people. There's not time. There's not space. It's not just material things. It's your time. It's your energy. It's your heart. If it has not cost you something, it's not costing you something to be part of this family, then you're doing it wrong. But here's the amazing thing. If I am giving and I'm caring for other people, guess who's caring for me? It's an amazing thing. Compassion is love in action. Let us show compassion. So making yourself at home in God's family is an amazing thing. It starts with knowing that we are loved by God. Maybe that's where you need to start today. Maybe you've been told by the enemy you're hated because the enemy hates you, but God loves you. Maybe you start there because that's the only place really to start. That's the foundation. And as we know that we are loved by God, making yourself home means you need to have hope in Christ. Stop living for this world. Jesus called us out of this world. To follow Jesus means that we need to walk away from this world and the things that we had in this world and start walking towards the kingdom. And he makes no excuses about that. We're living for bigger things. So put your hope where their hope is supposed to be put at. That's what it means. Make God's priorities our priorities. Have hope in Christ. And as we make hope in Christ, live righteously. Pick up this new lifestyle. Do it. Don't you be perfect. But take step by step of faith. And when we fall down and when we fail, this is the safest place in the world because we're all failures. And so we say, you know what? I messed up. And just by admitting that means there's a better way. And I would like some help. And this is the place that we get to do that. And we can be genuine before God. And we can receive grace and mercy and help for living so that we can have a different kind of life. And as we live righteously, let's not do it egotistically or or in such a way that brings arrogance, but let's love one another. Can we do that? Genuinely love one another. Not just saying, I feel nice feelings when I'm around you. Let me into your life. You can come into my life. You can walk beside me while I cry. You can stand beside me while we laugh. Let us have community. Let us care for one another. Let's be vulnerable enough to share our failures and our successes. Let us, let us love one another. And you know what the Bible says is that when 
God's people are acting like his family when we love one another, the rest of the world will not even be able to even believe it. They say the evidence, the rest of the world will know that we're truly from God is this, that we will love one another. It's such a miracle because we are so different. We have people here that are really conservative and people here are really liberal. We have people here that have come from really traditional backgrounds and really non-traditional backgrounds. We have people here from great families and people here from really broken families. We have people here that were rich and people here that didn't come from much money. We have people here that are highly educated and people here didn't have that opportunity nor desire to go through all of that. We have people that are very diverse. How on earth are we supposed to get together? We have Jesus. We have been loved. We have been called to. And the rest of the world will look at us and say, that does not make sense. But it's the love and the community that feeds that heart's desire. It is a home for you. This is a home for you. And so if you are in Christ, I want to say to you, welcome home. Let's make ourselves at home. How do we start this week? I've got some ideas. Take out your connection card on the back side. Here's some things that you can do. Maybe you need to memorize 1 John 3.1. You need to remember that you're God's child. Maybe the world has been so hard that you've been questioning God's love for you. Do you remember that God saved you from this world, not for it? Maybe you need to remember that he cares for you and the riches that you have received in Christ. God's work can do that. Maybe that's where you begin and say, you know what, I really am God's child. Start there. Maybe what you need to do is actually read the whole book of 1 John. Why? Because it's a book about family. That's what it is. And it's, it starts with eyewitnesses. That which was from the beginning, that's Jesus, right? Which we've heard, which we have seen with our eyes. We've looked at with our hands have touched. This is John saying, I have firsthand knowledge about this. This is not hearsay. This is what we proclaim concerning the word of life. He appeared, we've seen it, we testify it, we declare to you the eternal life, which was with the Father has appeared to us. And then he goes on to talk about what does it mean to be a family of faith. Maybe that's where you need to start. This week, what does it even look like to be in a family of faith? And read First John. Make it real. Or maybe for you this week, being in God's family is renewing repentance. You're in God's family, but you are a little bit of a prodigal. You're doing things your own way, and God says, welcome back. Come back. And I know how hard repentance is, because when we make it on our own power, we say, I'm going to give this thing up, and then we try to give it up on our own power, and we're not perfect the first try, and so then we're like, oh, we get disappointed. And then we try again, and then we get disappointed. And we try again, and eventually we just give up, and we're like, this thing is part of my life forever. I just can't be free. The Holy Spirit will transform you. Just give him time. Maybe what you need to start with is just renewing that repentance. If there's an area in your life you know you are walking outside of God's will, give it up. You're part of his household. What you've received is far greater than anything you're going to gain from that. This is just your encouragement today. God loves you even with that, right? But he loves you enough that he wants you to give it up. And in his household, he says, this week, maybe you start with renewing your repentance, getting your life back on track and to be his child. Or maybe what you need to do is Invite a friend. Why? God's house is really cool. My family, um, I don't have invites to become part of Aaron's family, right? I don't send out cards or whatever and say, hey, would you like to be part of my family? That's not how it works, right? God's house does that. He's like, I want more kids. Think about trying to live life without the love and the hope that we have in Christ, without the transformation that works within us, right? Without the, the, the presence of God. Can you imagine going through this world without those things? Isn't it amazing what we have to have a community of actual real love? Why do we want to keep this a secret? Maybe what you need to do, there are people out there that are, that are dying in, in, in the poverty of soul. 
They are cold and sometimes don't even know how bad off they are. They have no concept of how great God is and his family is. Maybe what you need to do this week, be praying for, pray for opportunities, pray for words, pray for courage. And maybe you invite a friend and you say, you know what, there's a place for you. And God will set a space at his table for you if you want to receive him. But maybe you just invite them to church. Maybe you use them like connection cards. Say, our church is going to be going through this crazy uh, connection thing. My pastor is weird. He walks around and, and jumps up and down sometimes, and you'll laugh at him, and it'll be fun. And maybe that's what you need to do. Just invite some people. Maybe you invite them even into your home. Have lunch. Maybe you go and serve. But maybe you say, you know, I'm going to invite a friend. And that's where you begin to saying, God's kingdom is too big for just me. Maybe there's something else that you need to, to, to do. Let me know. Or... Maybe you're here today and you have not followed that first commandment that God wants from us. Maybe you have not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Here's the invitation for you. God said he'll accept you, but you need to accept him. And so if that's you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell me that right here. So sorry, I would like information about starting a relationship with Jesus because this is not a sales pitch. Right? This is an opportunity to be adopted into the greatest family ever. And you need to know what it's about. And you need to understand, and I'm sure you have questions, and we'll talk with you. And if you're ready to take steps of faith to be in that family, we'll walk with you through that. Not just to becoming part of the family, but then afterwards, how to grow in the faith. So if that's you, have the courage enough to say, you know, I'm interested in this. It doesn't make you a Christian. It lets you know that you're interested in this. You want to be part of this family of love. And make sure I have your contact information, because even though that I have, you know, the Holy Spirit is within me, he doesn't give me this kind of information. I need that from you. So... Uh, so have that. If you have a prayer request, write that down as well. We will be praying for you. And then in a minute, we're going to take our offering. We take our offering, take those connection cards, and put them in the offering basket. And so let's, uh, let's pray for our offering and, uh, as the worship band comes up and, uh, and as well as uh, for our commitments. Heavenly Father, thank you for you that we can call you Father, not just Master, that uh, you love us so deeply. Lord, that you're not just King Although you are king and you're not just master, though you are master, that you are father who loves us deeply. Help us as your church to really be your children, to act like your children. Let this be a family that operates according to your rules because your rules are wonderful. Your kingdom is is amazing, so let us live for it. Father, call us out of, of empty and slow ways of living. For those of us who need a refreshment of repentance, give us that. Lord, your Holy Spirit says he's not just going to convict us, but also help purify us. So, Father, we pray through the power of the Holy Spirit there would be a purification in our hearts and lives. Let us, let us learn to follow you in a greater and a deeper way. And Father, I pray that this would be a place where the world will look at, even though if they hate us, they will see love here. And in that love, they would see a reflection of your love. And Father, and know the legitimacy of the gospel. Father God, deliver us from ourselves. Lord, these commitments that we make today, bless us with the ability and the opportunity to keep them. Transform us from the inside out. As we know we can't do it, but we know that is the greatest miracle is when you're not just saving us, but you are sanctifying us. Change us, Lord. And Father, we also pray for our, our commitments today, the, not just the commitments, but also the, the tithes and the offerings. Make these gifts of ourselves not just out of obedience, but out of love for you. May your kingdom grow, may your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask in Christ's wonderful name. Amen.